We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him and to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of this tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let uh, Let me join Dave and welcome you to Resurrection Oakland. My name's Brent. And I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if this is your first time, we are so glad that you're here. You've come on a great Sunday. We are starting a new sermon series today. It's our Advent series. As Dave mentioned, uh, this is a season of Advent, and maybe, maybe you've spent your whole life in church. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe this is your first time ever in church, and you're like, Advent, what is that? It is what the church has historically celebrated as the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And this Advent season... We're going to be in a sermon series called Repeat the Sounding Joy. It actually comes from one of the most famous uh, Christmas songs ever written, ever sung. We sang it this morning, Joy to the World. Uh, And this is one of the great things about Christmas, right? All of the singing, all of the singing. We have had Christmas music on blast in our house since Thanksgiving. Uh, I love all of the singing. Here is something really interesting about Luke's gospel. 
when Luke tells the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, everyone is singing. The opening chapters of Luke's gospel, they're like a musical. All of these people hearing the news of Jesus, and you know what they start doing? They all sing. Mary sings. The angels sing. A man named Simeon sings. And in our passage this morning, uh, a man named Zechariah sings. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at these four songs. And this is actually one of the ways you know you're really understanding what Christmas is all about. Um, If Christmas is just kind of a sentimental holiday for you, you know, something you get into. We get into the shopping and into the parties and into the decorating and into the peppermint mochas. If it's just something you get into, you haven't really understood it. When you really understand Christmas, it becomes something that gets into you. It creates this sense of joy and wonder and awe, and, it, and it'll do to you what it does to everyone in Luke's gospel, which it makes them sing. Now, let me give you a little bit of background on our singer this morning, Zechariah. If you turn all the way back to the opening chapters of, I mean, to the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, we read the very end today. But at the very beginning, Luke opens his gospel talking about this man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. We learn that Zechariah is a priest. Uh, we learn that Elizabeth is barren. They, they, they're, they're old. They've never had children. And an angel appears to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a child. Uh, and his name will be John. And he is going to be this great forerunner to Jesus. The birth that we read about at the very beginning of this passage this morning, verses 57 through 66, is the birth of John the Baptist. Now, think about this. Zechariah had been waiting his whole life for a child. He finally has one. It's his son's birthday. It's John the Baptist's birthday. But Zechariah is not singing about his son. That's not what this song is about. It's about another son. It's about the Son of God. It's about Jesus. It is about, he's singing about Christmas. And what I want to do today is just look at some very simple, but it takes a lifetime to get into you, some very simple reasons of why he is singing about Christmas and why if we get these things, we will sing about them too. So here's the first. Christmas means God wants you to know his love. Christmas means God wants you to know his love. Look at the very first line of his song. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come. Okay, stop there for just a moment. Let me give you Christmas in two words. I'll sum it up for you in two words. God came. That's Christmas. God came. God came down. God came as a person. God came into this world. God did not stay far off in the heavens, but he came close to us in Jesus. About 10 years ago, I came home from work one day, and my wife said, I decided what I want for my birthday. I said, what? She said, tickets to Justin Timberlake. (laughs) I said, how much is that going to cost? She said, I already bought them. The concert's tomorrow night. I said, what am I going to wear? What am I going to wear? That was my next question. What am I going to wear? Uh, so, so the next night we go see Justin Timberlake. Uh, we, we could not have been seated farther from Justin Timberlake. It's, 
I, it's what I call the pastor's section at any public event. We were, we were in, you know, the nosebleeds. We could not have been, we were on the opposite end of the arena from the stage, okay? And halfway through the concert, incredible concert, the stage begins to rise up. Uh, and it's on this platform that begins to uh, uh, go back over the crowd on the floor. So Justin Timberlake is here. We're way back there. All of a sudden, the stage begins to raise up. And the stage begins to move all the way to the back of the arena. My wife has this, Justin Timberlake is coming towards us. Like we were on the back row. We were on the back row. And all of a sudden we're in the front row. My wife has this huge smile on her face. She said, Justin, Justin. She looks at me. She says, he can hear me. I said, I can hear you too. But you don't always smile at me like this, like this. What's going on here? Justin Timberlake came near, and it was awesome, but Christmas says something even more profound. See, I got you. It says that God came near. It says that the creator of heaven and earth, the one who spoke the world into being by the word of his power. The one who knows the number of hairs on your head, the one who holds your life and my life in his hands, came close. And if you are here and you're exploring Christianity, not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this is part of the uniqueness of Christianity. No other religion says this. Every other religion at the end of the day says, the way you get to God is you work your way to him. God says, here are the rules, here are the laws, here are the commands, do these things and I will love you. Christianity says you cannot work your way to God. You cannot work your way to God through morality. You can't even work your way to God through religion. You can't even work your way to God by coming to church. It says that God came down to us. He came down. He came down not to tell us uh, how to get salvation, but to accomplish it for us. Now, why did God do this? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why did God come down? What, what, what was the motivating factor for him? And I love this little phrase that Zacharias sings about in verse 78. He says, because, see, why did God come down? Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. And I love that phrase, tender mercy. It's one word in the Greek. Uh, it's the word splankna, but you didn't say that this week. Splankna, it sort of uh, is what it sounds like. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, in the ancient world, Splankna was this area right, right here. Like where all of your, your organs, your innermost parts are gathered together. And the word literally means the bowels of mercy. The innermost parts of mercy. It, it, you know how we say, um, I just, I, I feel it in my gut. That's where we get that from. And what, what, what uh, your gut is, is what? It's the deepest part of you. What Zachariah is singing about is that Jesus, Jesus cares so much about you. 
that he feels it in the deepest parts of himself. That the reason, the, the reason he came down was because of his great love for us. I just want to ask you this morning, is that how you think God feels about you? So I, let me tell you, I've been a Christian for almost 35 years. I struggle to live in that reality most days. It is one thing to say you believe in God. It's an entirely separate thing to say you believe God loves you. And not just that God loves you, but God likes you. That God wants to be close to you. That God wants to be near to you. But that's what Christmas means. It means that God wants you to know his love. And you know what? When that, when the penny, when that penny drops, you begin to sing. There is a joy, there is a wonder, there is a confidence, there is an awe, there is an assurance. Christmas means God wants you to know his love for you. Here's the second thing we learn from this song. Christmas means that God is always working. God is always working in your life. Always, always. God is always working in your life, even in your darkest moments. And this is what I love about Zachariah's song. It is so applicable to our lives because it is born out of a season of darkness. It is born out of a season of having to trust God and to wait on God in the face of immense disappointment and grief and loss. Listen, this is the ancient world. Family was everything. You know, as modern Western people, we kind of don't understand this because we're so individualized in the way that we think. But in the ancient world, family was, your family was everything. That meant if you didn't have children, you were a nobody. You were at the bottom rung of society. Barrenness meant that you had no social status and you had no foreseeable hope or future. And so it had been a lifetime, a lifetime of sadness and grief For Zechariah and Elizabeth, a lifetime of waiting and wondering, God, where are you? Have you forgotten about us? How could you possibly be at work in this? And, you know, at some point or another, that is every single person in this room. Waiting and wondering. Some of us are waiting right now on God, waiting on a spouse, waiting on God to save our marriage, waiting on God to provide financial provision. We don't know how we're going to pay the bills tomorrow. Waiting on, we're miserable in our job, waiting on God to give us a new one, waiting on God to heal a broken relationship or to take away the cancer or to bring back a wayward child. We're all waiting, and and at some point or other, we're all wondering, God, where are you? Do you not see? Do you not care? Some of you, you, maybe you've grown up in church your whole life, and you didn't know you could actually, God wants you to talk to him like that. That is the Psalms, friend. Over and over, God, do you not see? Do you not care? How long, O Lord? Have you forgotten us? How could you possibly be at work in this? We all go through these seasons, and this is where we get Christmas all wrong, because we we think Christmas is for happy people. 
We think it's for people who are winning in life. I, I, I saw this week that the Christmas season is the high point of depression and suicides in this country. Everyone thinks that Christmas is supposed to be a time of hope and joy and laughter. And so when that's not where you are in life, guess what Christmas does? It exacerbates the sadness. It exacerbates the grief. It exacerbates the pain. We think Christmas is for happy people, people who are winning in life. I noticed something about Luke's gospel I've never seen before this week. Um, Luke opens his gospel for the first 30 verses of Luke. The name Jesus is not mentioned. Isn't that interesting? You know, who, you know whose name is mentioned? Zachariah and Elizabeth. A lot. This is how Luke starts his gospel. He takes us into their lives, not into Jesus' life. He starts with them. And I think what Luke is doing here is he is setting the stage for Christmas for us by taking us into the lives of two people who are waiting and wondering, who are living in disappointment, Why? Because Christmas is not for happy people. It is for hurting people. It is not for people who feel like they're winning. It is for people who feel like they are waiting and wondering. It is for the Zacharias and the Elizabeths of the world. And friends, it's for you and me. And that is the good news of Christmas. And the question is, is how are we actually going to learn to trust God in the midst of our waiting? How are we going to learn to trust that God is always at work, even in the darkness, Let me give you three quick applications from this song. Here's the first. First, you have to learn to locate your joy, not in your circumstances, but in God. So many of us, we locate our joy in our circumstances, and that's why it comes and goes. But if you'll notice, when Zechariah starts his song, he says the first words, praise be to the Lord. He's been waiting for a son his whole life, and now he has one. But he's not rejoicing in his son. He's not rejoicing in his circumstances. He is rejoicing in God. The key to trusting God is to put your confidence not in your circumstances because they always change, but in God who never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Here's the second thing. Never judge God by your own timeline. We we, we do this all the time. We say, God, I need you to, to work, and I need you to do it right now. But if you notice Zechariah in this song, he begins uh, in verses 69 through 75, he begins to sing about God's promises to Abraham and to David. God had promised Abraham that he would bless him and make him a blessing to the world. He promised David that there would be one who would come from David's line. He would be the true king who would rule and reign forever in justice and righteousness. And Zechariah is, is singing about how Jesus is the fulfillment of those Promises. Do you know how long people had been waiting on God to fulfill those promises? Thousands of years. So we say, God, I need you to do this today. But God doesn't always do it today. But that doesn't mean that God isn't doing something. And 2 Peter 3 says this, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. God may seem slow to us, but God is always working out his purposes at exactly the right speed. God is never late. God is always on time. His timing is always perfect. 
And we are often confused by our circumstances, but God never is. We often doubt God's purposes, but God knows what he's doing. His promises never fail. And you say, well, okay, sure, that was easy for Zechariah to believe. Because Zechariah got what he'd been asking for, but I haven't. I've been asking God to heal the sickness, and he hasn't. I've been asking God to heal my marriage, he hasn't. I've been asking God to heal my financial situation, and he hasn't. I've been asking God to heal my loneliness, and he hasn't. So what then? How do you trust God then? And this is the third application. Never stop looking at Christmas. You know what happened at Christmas? God showed up in the most unexpected person and in the most unexpected place, the most unexpected way. He came not as this great conquering king. He came as an infant who was born in a stable. There were more animal eyewitnesses to his birth than human beings. He was born in a forgettable part of the Roman Empire in a little town in the middle of nowhere. If God can show up in that, friends, he can show up in your life. If he can work in that situation, he can work in whatever situation you find yourself in. Christmas means God is always at work, even in our darkest moments, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it. It means that God wants you to know his love, and then here's, here's the last thing for today. Christmas means that God has a purpose for your life. And we are born into this world, all of us, looking for purpose. And, and life gets really hard when you feel like you don't have it, right? Uh, I saw a research study this week that found that when people, don't have, a, when people have a sense of purpose, uh, it actually decreases the mortality rates. Having a sense of purpose can add up to seven years to your life, is what this study found. And maybe you're here this morning and you are really struggling with purpose in life. Maybe you feel purposeless in your career. Maybe you wake up a lot of mornings and there's just an apathy to you. Think, what's the point? Why get out of bed? Life feels stale. You feel like you're just going through the motions. Maybe you're older in years and you feel like, I don't, I feel like I don't have much to contribute to the world anymore. And in Christmas, what God says to each of us is this, as long as you have breath, he has purpose for your life. And Zechariah begins to sing about this in verse 47. Look at this. He says that God has rescued us so that we might serve him without fear. Now, I love this because what Zechariah is saying is the purpose of Christmas, the reason that God came down was not simply so that we could be saved from something but so that we could be saved for something. For serving God is what Zechariah says. You want purpose in life. Christmas says, here's purpose. God has made you to serve him. And you say, well, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? Um, I love the image that uh, we get in this song in verse 78. He sings, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. And in the shadow of death, he compares Jesus to the sunrise. I love that. Think about that image for just a moment. Jesus is the sunrise. That's why Jesus says in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light 
who came into the darkness of the world to push back the darkness. The darkness of what? The darkness of evil and injustice and of sin and of suffering and all of the ways this world is broken and not the place that God made it to be. But I think that Zechariah has more in mind here when he's saying this than just Jesus as the light of the world. Because look how he, he ends that whole line. He says, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, to guide our feet is a way of saying, it's a way of talking about walking. And walking in the Bible is a metaphor for how we're supposed to live. It's, it's, uh, it's why Paul says in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit. In other words, what, what Zechariah is talking about here is he's saying, we are to walk and we are to live like Jesus. Jesus pushed back the darkness. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is calling you to push back the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus calls you to be the light of the world. You say, gosh, that sounds a little far-fetched. Well, in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You know what he says in Matthew 5? to his followers, you are the light of the world. There's a small uh, town in the country of Norway, and what's unique about this town is that for about six months out of the year, it gets no sunlight. It's, um, It's nestled down deep in this valley. It has these high mountains that surround the whole the whole town. And so from September to March, it's completely dark. The sun can't get through. Uh, a couple years ago, the people of this town decided to do something they'd never done before. They took these massive mirrors called heliostats. They put them on top of the ridges that surrounded this mountain so that as the sunlight hit these mirrors, it was reflected down into the valley and the whole town was lit up. And Christmas says that God has a purpose for your life, and that purpose is for you to be like one of these mirrors, reflecting Jesus, who is the true light of the world, and who is pushing back the darkness of the world. When I was um, doing college ministry at Cal, uh, I used to take students every spring break to a Native Native American uh, reservation in Washington State. it's an incredible story of, of uh, this church that got started there. We, we, we worked with this church that started about 20 years ago when uh, a couple named Chris and Mary Granberry uh, moved there. They moved from the other side of the country, moved their whole family um, to minister on this reservation. For the last 20 years, they have been caring for orphans, uh, caring for the poor, uh, caring for people who feel totally forgotten by the world. Now, uh, they're white, so when they first showed up on this reservation, uh, you can imagine that they were not well received. It's not easy at the beginning. Um, and so what they began to do every day for the first year was they would, they, they would wake up every morning not really knowing what they were going to do that day, but they would get in their van and they would start driving around the reservation and uh, helping people however they could that day. People had all sorts of trash in their yard. They'd collect it and take it away. You know, all sorts of things. 
somebody, word about them kind of began to spread, and somebody uh, on the reservation came to them and said, hey, we know this elderly woman who her roof is in total disrepair, and whenever it rains, water just pours into her house. Could you help? They said, we'd love to. So they gathered a team of people together, raised all their own money to do it, and for several weeks, they went to this lady's house every day, and they fixed her roof. She didn't come out one time while they were there. Until the very last day, they were packing up all their stuff, getting ready to leave. They just finished the project. And she came running out of the house. And through tears, she asked them, why did you do this for me? Why did you leave your homes move all the way across the country, spend your own money to fix my roof. She said, not even my own family would do this for me. And they looked at her and they said, the reason we left our home to come to your home is because we believe in a God who left his home to come to us. And it did not just cost him his money, It cost him his life. And they have been there ever since, pushing back the darkness, shining the light of Christ. I want you to know, you do not have to move to a Native American reservation to do that. In fact, if God has put you here, it's because he wants you to do that here. You can do that right here. You can do it in your homes. You can do it in your places of work. You can do it in your school. You can do it in your neighborhood. You can do it in this city. You can serve God. You can be a light. You can reflect the Savior so that those around you might come to know and sing about the good news of Christmas. So that people who have never, who have never experienced the love of God could know that God loves them. They could know that God is always working in their lives. And they could hear that God has a purpose for their life. And all of that starts right here at this table, actually. This table is where God invites us because he wants us to know his love. God says, here's my love. I I want you to take it and I want you to put it in your mouth and I want you to taste it and I want you to swallow it. It's a love so great that it didn't just come to a manger but it went to a cross. And this table is where God assures us that he is always working in our lives even when we cannot see it and even when we cannot feel it. God is always at work even in the darkest moments. That's what the cross was. The cross was the darkest moment. An innocent man unjustly crucified. The savior of the world hung to die. Everyone looked at that and thought, God could not be in this. Where is God? Has God forgotten us? How could God possibly be using this? And what was God doing? Accomplishing the salvation of the world. This table is where God wants to feed us and to fill us so that we might be sent out of those doors 
to be his light in this place. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, would you give us faith this morning, not just to believe in our heads, but to feel it and to know it in our hearts of your great love for us, a love so great that it came down for us to live and to die for us and to rise again for us. We pray that you would meet us at this table this morning. Some of us, we have never known this love before. We have never tasted this love before. We have never fathomed that there could be a God who could love us like this. Maybe today is the day where the penny drops. Meet with us, we pray, as we come to this table. In Christ's name, amen.